0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes.
1: I've been accused of being a lot of things. Inarticulate ain't one of them.
0: very bad wizard. welcome to very bad wizards i'm tamler summers from the university of houston dave i know the answer to this question already but i want to get you on the public record about this so what do you think of ted lasso season 2
1: <laughs> oh my god i didn't i just finished the the last episode uh-huh i've never seen a show go from so good to so like i didn't even know there was that distance to travel like i didn't know conceptually that such a distance existed (laughs) in quality in quality it it, i i thought season one was just touching heartwarming everything we needed in the misery that was you know the COVID years and i swear to god it's like it's like the writers all of a sudden were given a second season and they didn't believe it and they're like oh shit all right like hurry up let's have the african young soccer player Get in a relationship with a right. old white woman—it's right. just terrible.
0: It's like uh, the you know not to be aired uh, South Park episode where they're making fun of Sam Family Guy, and it's just like <laughs> these balls, and they could like, yeah the manatees, yeah the manatees exactly. The manatees. Uh, let's ha- we need two people to fall in love. Uh, so what do you got for us, manatees? No, it, it's it, here's my question about it. We this is not what we're talking about, even for the opening <laughs> segment. But like. I found myself thinking maybe season one wasn't that good uh, and because Mm -hmm. but we were just in quarantine and it was it hit at the right time. We felt like something heartwarming. We didn't want something like that was going to challenge us in any way. I don't know if that's true. I haven't gone back and watched. I couldn't get through season two. I'm impressed that you were able to get through it. Uh, And also my family couldn't get through me watching it with them either.
1: (laughs) The last three episodes, we just, we just sort of hate watched it. Uh, Maybe with a little bit of hope, but you didn't see the final episode. So you don't,
0: I don't know what happens Yeah, You can, oh my
1: God, man. It's just like, um, I, you know, I think I haven't rewatched the first, um, season, but I think it was just tighter. There was a character development. It was a tightly written story. It was about this team and this person and, I I think it would hold up. Um, yeah. a, a nice ending to, to, you know, like they don't... They don't they, win. They don't but, win, and, and it was never about winning and whatever. Yeah. And, it, it's
0: also like every edge that was on any character is taken off, and then just the lamest, like... Yeah. Uh, heel turn for you know the meekest character in season one it here's what was extra annoying about it like I don't even think it was manatees that's actually the wrong way of describing it it's more like normally this would be an older guy and a younger yeah. woman
1: but we're like pushing uh, the envelope pushing the envelope it's weird because it actually ethically bothered me that it was her boss his boss right like yeah. I'm like what am I, am I not supposed to be bothered that this is like the the woman who actually controls his career yeah he's um, 21 also and yes, he's the owner
0: of like a black athlete and she's doing this <laughs> you know they're you know what they're thinking in the writers room is you wouldn't be saying that if it was the other way around but of course you would but isn't be the point
1: it. that we should
0: it's just so transparent yes. like even yeah. jen and eliza and maybe especially eliza was just annoyed by that it just seemed like self-congratulatory in some way
1: it, and then just hey. Okay. What? So I have to say this because if you're not going to finish it, all our listeners yeah. who haven't who are, who are invested in watching it and are not going to see it, like starting this moment on fast forward, like I don't know two minutes. What you said about the meekest character turning weirdly, sort of like aggressive,
0: just being a total in a heel, asshole. Yeah,
1: it the fucking thing ends with him as essentially a Bond villain who gets hired to be the coach on the rival team. Like, and he's now, his hair was slowly going white. And by the the last scene in the episode is he's in an all black suit. His hair is totally white, cursed out, Ted Lasso. And so now, like, it was literally just a buffoonish Bond villain to Ted Lasso.
0: And all of this, because in one game, this was like the second to last episode that I could stomach, like Ted Lasso has some sort of breakdown uh, and yeah. I know this is about mental health. Okay. like he has some sort of breakdown and all that this guy does is say park the bus, which means play defensively and try to counteract. like just the the simplest possible like soccer mm. strategy that you that you <laughs> can have. And then now all of a sudden like the power and the glory goes to his head and right. you know he's gonna be he's gonna shit on and spit on people just like he was spit on and shit on. It's just, it was, it was brutal, terrible. and and you know it, what, okay, last thing about Ted Lasso. the thing that really bugs me is the people who like it are saying, uh, but now there's the inevitable backlash uh, uh, against it, uh, Ted Lasso it's like the opposite of a backlash because it's <laughs> awful, it's like atrocious, and people still are defending it like that's literally the I, opposite of a backlash what's what's happening to it I right can't
1: now. like the nowadays rotten Tomatoes scores like critic scores are the most untrustworthy things as long as you have some some like woke shit no matter how poorly written it is it's like 98 99 and even the wokest of the people i know like have realized this but like yeah fucking like emperor is naked here like the audience (laughs) the audience scores and the the critic scores are just diverging in ways that are if I may say, indicative of the political culture. (laughs) Yes,
0: and which will relate to what we're going to be talking about. All right, so let's talk about what we are going to talk about. Two things (laughs) that we both, well, liked slash loved. The first is Dave Chappelle's new controversial special, speaking of the political culture and its interaction with the world of art and entertainment. And then in the second segment, we're going to talk about Ingmar Bergman's stone cold masterpiece um, persona that everybody should see because it's also an hour and 20 minutes or something like that yes yeah. like
1: but no but you on purpose didn't ask me what I thought about the movie and here you are calling it a masterpiece and I don't want the audience to get to you know to get any ideas that I' am somehow revealing my opinion for a segment two uh, okay Wow! <laughs> if you don't just, like persona, we're gonna have a problem. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Nate. I'm like I'm like Nate from Ted Lasso. Like, how dare you state my opinion before I state it? <laughs>
0: right. No. And now you're gonna join two psychologists for beer.
1: <laughs> um, Chappelle.
0: Yes. What did What did you think of that?
1: Yeah that that might be actually something that mm. I I actually uh, when you said liked or loved because I. I, so I watched this, this. This is the latest Chappelle Netflix special called uh, "Closer," and I watched it twice. And the second time, I liked it less. So I, I don't love it. I don't love it. And we could talk about why I I don't love it, but I liked it less the second time. And I'm I'm curious about what your initial reactions were.
0: So I only watched it once, but I can see what you're saying. Why. I- Some of the things that, you know, when you don't know what to expect in the first time through might start to grate in the second reviewing. Because I thought it was already kind of on the edge of grating, you know, just because he really does try to straightforwardly address his critics, especially about the trans jokes. And I thought it kind of worked pretty well. And in an interesting way, it was certainly not, I didn't think it was perfect, but the way he was going about it, the way it was constructed, I really enjoyed this Especially, I also thought it was very funny throughout. Like, uh, were some great jokes as someone who got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine as someone who <laughs> is like him yeah. in that way. Like I appreciated those jokes. I, I expect you to unreservedly Condemn the space Jew jokes. That was uh, one of the best ones.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> the, there's a callback to it. You know? Yeah, I know. He, so here's I think I think I'm I responded more negatively to you, um, but I think I started in the same place. So it's built up. You know, he's gotten a lot of flack for telling anti-trans jokes, but also sexist jokes. I guess I didn't want to hear more of that. I, I wanted this to be a new thing. I honestly thought with the last the last two that came out at the same time, I thought that he he had left it on a good note there. Mm-hmm. Like this is how he feels. I didn't think he had to, to to tread on that territory again. And here's what I think upon the second viewing bothered me, that I don't usually see that much of in Chappelle. And what and, and what I think made made this one less funny than the other ones. He struck me as defensive in his telling of jokes in a way that he usually isn't. Yeah. And and it made me a little bit sad because I don't think he has to be. It became a lot about how people think about what people think about Dave Chappelle. It was a little navel-gazy and I you know I, I can't feel sorry for him that much.
0: Right. <laughs> you know? Because he's rich and famous and <laughs> yeah, no, like really great at what he does.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I kind of came at that from a different angle. I thought that it really bothered him. So I am like you. I, I think we even did an, a segment on this where I thought the last two episodes it was pretty funny, and yeah. I, I was shocked that it, that there was a lot of negative criticism of it. Like yeah. it seemed almost affectionate his joke, right. that whole LGBTQ LGBTQ bus or whatever, you know. And yeah. it struck me as like very surprising that people reacted in the way that they did. But they did react that way, and I think Dave Chappelle took it really personally, and especially the punching down uh, comments, yeah. as he as he says like, yeah. explicitly in the special. It almost felt like, given that this is his last Netflix special of the series that he's done for them, it felt like he had to address it, and I kind of appreciated that he was going out of his way to try to do it in, as straightforwardly as possible while still being... Uh, or trying to be funny about it. You know, it's never fun when comedians complain about criticism from, like, PC or woke quarters. Like, that's not usually fun. But yeah. it seemed like this, in particular, really bothered him and he felt like he had to talk about it and and work through it. Now, like, you know, was it fully successful? I, no, but I appreciated that the element of, you know, the way this kind of criticism typically is comes from people who are white there was some interesting things that he had to say about that
1: yeah i was talking to to nikki about this and because uh, she, she thought it was like a lot meaner than the other ones mm-hmm. and and i get that what you said was is right it got to him yeah. and i i i never really thought that i would hear it like got like it got to him like you could tell it got to him and and other Dave Chappelle would laugh it off or like say what he needed to say, but not. But you also said something about there was heart in his jokes, like in the last ones. His sneer is a little meaner. Yeah, I think and that's, that's true. Yeah, I understand, I think, where he's coming from. So I think that, that one of the big things that's bothering Dave Chappelle is not just the backlash that he's gotten, but the backlash that he's gotten as a reflection of what he sees as a, as a hypocrisy in america and which he says as much explicitly in this and, yeah. and what's really bothered him is what he perceives as the lgbtq movement getting more respect and making more progress than blacks in america and um, and this has sorry i shouldn't say blacks black people in america <laughs> and, <laughs> the and, black the space blacks (laughs) Um, that. And I I think that this is, to me, Dave Chappelle has always been somebody who in his heart of hearts is doing the struggle through comedy. Like it's Mm -hmm. the black struggle in America through his comedy. I get the sentiment. Like I certainly like, I I think I understand. I I just think that his targets for expressing this sentiment were, not always the people who were deserving of the target, deserving of yeah. the target.
0: Yeah, like a lot of communities, the black community is trying to wrestle with, especially, I think, trans issues right yeah. now in, 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 in ways that are sometimes constructive and sometimes not. And I think what really bugs Chappelle is when these otherwise fairly privileged white Uh, you know, whether they're uh, in the trans community or they're just allies of the trans community, when they go after people, that's, that's like, you know, otherwise like Kevin Hart, like Kevin Hart's doing fine. Sorry that he didn't get to host the Oscars. That was bad. I agree. But like, I think it's that kind of thing. And especially when it happens to somebody who isn't Kevin Hart, like that really bugs him and that he thinks is kind of common theme in these kinds of debates And, you know, when he says, like, who's punching down, really? Like, I think a lot of the time he thinks it's the the, the woke people or the the marginalized communities and their allies punching down on the people who are just trying to figure it out. And maybe they say some insensitive or offensive things, but, like, uh, the response to it is out of proportion. Now, we're not cultural critics. It strikes me as certainly it happens sometimes. So there's that. But then there's also, I think, what you said about him being meaner in this special i think what got to him was that people were saying that about him in previous specials you know yeah and and he didn't think that was true you know yeah and that's why he tells the story of the trans person who he allowed to open for him and like in this show that I would love to see if somebody videotaped it. Like, uh, he started just interrogating her about being trans, and she was answering questions, and even though she bombed in her opening set, she was, like, so funny and trying to talk about it. And it seems like this is his ideal, right? Like, this is how he thinks, like, these kinds of interactions should go, where people try to understand each other without judging and condemning, like, right away. And, And then, you know, the kind of tragedy of what happens to this to this woman um, after she gets hounded and dragged on Twitter for supporting Dave Chappelle, she takes her own life. And he says, which I think is important, like he doesn't know why she took right. her own life. Right. He doesn't say that it was her getting dragged on Twitter that led her to do that, but he says it can't have helped. You know, that's another time where he says, "Who's you know, who's punching down here? She could just get viciously attacked like she did, I'm sure, because she's defended... Dave uh Dave Chappelle that's there's something wrong with that. Yeah. There's something poisonous about it, I guess.
1: Yeah. I you know the very sincere heartwarming moments in previous specials were a l- fewer and further between this time and Now as I think about it here's one thing that, that bothers me because as you like I'll defend whatever comedy if it's funny it doesn't like I don't care. I think at times when he would let this get to him there were a couple of times where he relied on humor that was Just sort of stale, like making jokes about Adam's apples and or like saying, like, why do women think I hate them? Like, what kind of bitch would say that? You know, like there's like also a violent
0: tinge to it. Like at one point, like he talks about, I guess, a lesbian that came up to him in a bar and he says, I whooped the toxic masculinity out of that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which uh, but again, one of these interactions starts with him saying, look, it's it's art. You can interpret it any way you want. Although he then yeah. goes and completely undercuts that. by, <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, that's intentional, I guess is what I'm saying. Like this edge that uh, is in this special that really wasn't in some of the other specials when it comes to these issues. Like whether, I don't know, we like it or not. Like I feel like there's an honesty to it.
1: Um, the, the one thing that you can never take away from Dave Chappelle, that he can crafts sets like nobody else exactly yeah like that guy tells a story like he is so good at putting together an hour's worth of story that's compelling like and he refers to himself as the goat another thing that i like wasn't funny to me but like i i personally have him up to like i said last time norm mcdonald dave chappelle to me in very different ways are the best in my lifetime to do it yeah And I I think that I genuinely have a moral dilemma because I don't blame some people for being feeling betrayed Mm. by his jokes this time around. I'm not a member of the, you know, the marginalized groups that he was joking about. And I really feel like I can't I can't speak very well to whether or not he crossed a line. But I'm I'm never going to say I don't love dave chappelle like (laughs) no
0: it's an important point like we're not um of the marginalized community and especially like i think the trans community i mean i think he separates them from like even he is sensitive to that that's a different thing right now than being gay or being a woman and especially if you're white and both of those two things yeah because people who are, who have completely come to terms with, you know, same-sex marriage, but, like, then there's this trans thing, which just, like, if you're as old as you and I are, like, this is a completely new thing, and there's stuff about it that makes, that makes sense, and you feel a ton of empathy for people who are, who have been, you know, treated with contempt, treated as if people don't believe what they're, what they're saying, people saying that, that what they are isn't real, you know, but also, like, w- like not getting it, you know? If you're a cis person like me, just not fully getting even, like, what the whole thing means. But I, I take it that's his point, is that, like, the way for this bridge to be built is through conversation and not just immediate judgment and, and th-
1: attacks. Yeah, there was one point where I thought, the worst thing I thought about About what he was saying, I think, was at one point when he's talking about his trans friend Daphne and saying that she was in my tribe, the tribe of comedians, where it felt like, oh, is what you're saying that we can be cool as long as you don't bring any of that pronoun shit into like our conversation? Like, like, no, like I'll treat we should treat each other as just regular humans. Just don't get all political on me.
0: I think I I, I could see interpreting it that way. But because you know, the climax of that story is their interaction when he's on stage and she's in the front yeah. row and just asking questions and she's answering them. And like, I, I don't think he's saying don't bring that political shit. I think he's saying there is a way to bring the political shit that doesn't, you know, make people enemies and make people defensive and make people uh, if they claim not to understand something, make people feel like that they're bad people. And and I think he thinks that the trans community is too quick to the kind of judgment, not quick enough to just trying to explain to people things that they don't understand. And I know that that's exhausting as as yeah. a lot of people say is to try to explain it.
1: My favorite part of that story is when they're laughing uh, during the show and Dave Chappelle says, whatever, I love you, but I, don't, I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And Daphne gets mad at him mm-hmm. and like in front of everybody says no. Like, and the way that, that Dave Chappelle even relates the story, he, he relates the anger in her voice. Right. And that, that seemed like a genuine moment where, where, he, you know, he, he was, it was the one time in this, sh- maybe not the one time, but it was one certain time in the show where I felt like he was. Admitting to change himself, like admitting to see to to being a different person because of his relationship with Daphne,
0: yeah, um, you know, and I, again, I think that's just circles back to this really got to him, and I think it didn't just get to him because he thinks it's his critic's fault, right, like yeah. I think it also got to him because he, he thinks uh at a conscious and maybe also unconscious level that it's also his fault,
1: yeah, I often find myself wondering what the trans community like the broader trans community things yeah. and I, I, I say broader here meaning not not the people who are in the press a lot or or are on Twitter a lot because yep. we know they're not that's not a representative of even like non-trans yeah. people right um,
0: I wonder that too um, and and of course like I'm sure listeners will say and they're right like why don't you ask <laughs> like why speculate no, like, why not just ask people you know
1: like a Twitter poll <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jesse Single, can you retweet this for me? I'm curious what the. (laughs) Last thing I actually want to say about this, I I
0: also think we're just of this like different generation. I don't know if this is true in Ithaca, but it's definitely true in Houston. The way they think and talk about this issue is just uh, like it's just a sea change. It is such a fact of life. And so many of Eliza's friends consider oh, yeah. themselves non-binary or, and, and, and at least three or four have come out as trans. It's so matter of fact, it's so much a matter of course, that it it's, it's just another one of these things that it's like, how did this happen so quickly? But it seems like it has. And in a really good way, like they don't seem really mad and defensive if, you know, if Jen will <laughs> throw my wife under the bus <laughs> but, <laughs> ask some kind of offensive or insensitive question like it's not like anybody gets really mad at her it's it's like it's almost to the point where people have a sense of humor about it kind of inspiring and it's just like maybe this is just something where like you and I just have to die out in our generation and then yeah. everything will be fine you know
1: like you know I always remember that that when we were younger there, there could be a whole Episode of Donahue that was just about like one kid coming out as gay in his high yeah. school, you know, yeah, right. and exactly. I, I, rem- I remember feeling at some point in my adult life like it was so nice that being gay d- didn't have to be like the central thing that you know about somebody like yeah. it could be just sort of an aside. And, and hopefully we'll get there with this stuff too, uh, you know?
0: I, but like um, this, I, th- I think we're already there. It's just well, not like people there. our age. They're <laughs> yeah, already there. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, no, so it's, it's, it's literally like we just have to die.
1: Who has to die for anti-black racism? To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think
0: that's kind of his point. Exactly. That's, that's exactly, that's, I think his point. Like somehow every one of these things just makes incredible progress over a short amount of time, except for that one,
1: you <laughs> yep. know? Yeah. It's not a contest until you look (laughs) at hundreds of years.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I I appreciated that about, you know, his, uh, about the special. All right. All right. Uh, Let's go to the white people's problems. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an unfair description of persona, but
1: also fair. Uh, We'll be right back. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com VBW. You know, we're very grateful for BetterHelp's sponsorship uh, throughout the past year or so. And so let's just take a moment to think about how life has changed in that time. In the last year and a half, we've all been through a lot of stuff that we never thought we would have been through. We could not have predicted. A lot of those have been additional stressors. So life has become full of stressors. I don't know how many times I say it in these ads, but with the semester starting up and with added responsibilities in my job and my personal life, I have certainly felt it. And you probably have as well. So even if you're not feeling down and out and depressed, or if you're not experiencing severe anxiety, if you're not experiencing the sorts of things that you think for sure would need to get you to a therapist would be would be sort of worthy of therapeutic attention. <clears throat> Doesn't matter. Sometimes it's death by a thousand paper cuts. We could still use the help of a good therapist. And BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with a therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. These are licensed professional therapists who specialize in exactly the sorts of things uh, that you might need. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So get some unbiased feedback about the things that are going on in your life. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. Just see if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Very Bad Wizards listeners. Because of that, get 10% off of their first month at betterhelp.com slash VBW. Again, that's BETTERHELP.com slash VBW. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Uh. Welcome back to very bad wizards this is the time of the episode where we like to take a moment and thank all of our listeners for their engagement that's the official word engagement we're like mm-hmm. a web 2.0 company we we like to up your engagement <laughs> all the ways that you contact us and uh and talk with us and even talk amongst yourselves about us um it's it's nice it's nice to see so if you would like to contact us directly you can always email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com or you could tweet to us at verybadwizards or at tamler and at peas you can follow us on instagram where you will get all of the coolest artwork themed on the episode Yes,
0: there. right. And and it is just like actively like it's expressing your agency when you're <laughs> on
1: <It's> the most <laughs> <Yeah>. agentic <laughs> social media of all. <laughs> um uh, wait until we get a TikTok. Um and uh if you would like to engage in discussions with uh like-minded listeners or maybe non uh non-like-minded listeners, you can go to our Reddit. At reddit.com slash r slash very bad wizards. And last but not least, you can. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We always love to see yes. your reviews and your star ratings. Five star ratings
0: will get us more listeners. And I think
1: it can. directly, every five star rating directly plants a tree in a part of the DeForest. <laughs> <third, third laughs> <Thanks. world. laughs>
0: exactly. If you would like to support us in more tangible ways, um, there are. Several different ways you can do that. You can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal. You can um, become one of our patrons, our our beloved Patreon supporters, where we have different tiers of support with with lots of bonus material. Uh, You have a whole library of bonus material at this point. Um, If you're a $2 and up per episode listener, you will get, yeah, a bunch of bonus episodes that we've done over the years and that we plan on doing. Like we're, we have a, we have a couple in the pipeline right now. Um, and they will be coming your way soon. We also have at the five dollar and up level, our Brother's Karamatsov series that will be directly on the Very Bad Wizards feed, so you can access that. Uh, $10 and up, you get a monthly Ask Us Anything where we answer your questions in a video and we post the video, Um, which for us is like a huge issue. You know, (laughs) they have to be like that. We get so much protection for this being an only audio.
1: I know. I know. I have to think about what you're wearing. Yeah. Clearly. (laughs)
0: I just have to wear things, period. You can't. Uh, you
1: have to do all your drinking before. <laughs>
0: well, that doesn't normally happen. <laughs> I think I've been drinking for both of the videos that we've done so far. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, and then we have merch, um, and you can get that. Like Once again, just giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All those, way- all those things help us so much, so thank you very much.
1: Why did you bring giving a five star review on Apple Podcasts? I
0: don't know. I hear people do that in the, <laughs> in in their support. Like it's it's like a, if you're not going to give us money, like that's the pe- uh, best. Oh, I, yeah. I see. I don't
1: know. <laughs> cut that. Will, we will accept the currency of <laughs> yeah. five star reviews. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The legal tender. Um, so, thank you very much to everybody. Um, all joking aside. Uh, it is this it is so meaningful to us that you support us and interact with
1: us. Amen.
0: All right, well, let's talk about um, persona, which I still don't know what you think about. Uh, you've been kind of ghosting
1: me. That's true. I had a very very busy day. Um, so the spoiler is I liked it, so don't you don't have to be worried. Yeah. Okay. Phew.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been like texting him about it, and I'm uh, just getting no response. Just. Uh, which is appropriate, actually, for the movie. So (laughs) I appreciated that, at least. The sort of meta-commentary you were engaging in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I thought of it that Uh, way, yeah. All
0: right, so I'm going to give a plot summary, but it's a movie that, like, cries that like, wants to be interpreted and then also resists interpretation yeah. or at least any kind of right. s- confident interpretation.
1: And um, it's also one where a, pl- a very accurate plot summary can be given that doesn't at all really tell you what this movie is or feels <laughs> like or is about.
0: <laughs> yes. It has been called the white whale of film criticism right. because of all the different ways that you can interpret it. Um, all right, so let me do a quick pot- plot summary and we can dive in. Persona is essentially the story of you and I in Montana.
1: (laughs) Was this your attention check?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought I would get more of a reaction.
1: (laughs) I, I was literally like, I had checked out for a second to like organize my windows. And then I caught, I caught what you just said, which, which one of us did the talking.
0: It's funny. If you're, uh, we're in Montana with us, and if you've seen Persona, and I guess if you're me. Uh, <laughs> that's the only way it's funny. <laughs> but I thought it was. Yeah. Anyway, the movie starts with a projector being run, and then just a crazy montage with, like, penis at one point, a crucifixion, a cartoon, all sorts of other things, like some of which are comic in kind of the silent movie kind of way, some are really violent and brutal. Just one on top of the other. There doesn't seem to be like a cohesiveness. There, if there's a co- cohesiveness to it, it's like the feeling of it, which is kind of stress and you know you're you're being kind of uh, whipped around a little bit. And you know we can talk about it, um, try to analyze it. I, you know I guess it it, it resolves on a boy um, on some sort of cot with a sheet that's too small for him. So it's like he he's sleeping on a cot and he has this sheet that's like 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 a foot too small for him, which is like a lot of this movie. It it conveys a kind of feeling, and I found that as somebody who has trouble sleeping, like the boy is, and who has had like the a sheet that's not long enough for (laughs) for me, like there's something just stressful about that. You know, that's the that's the feeling that you get when you're watching that. Then he tries to he can't sleep. He tries to read for a bit, and then he gets up and there's a screen which he touches with his hand, and then a blurry image of. A woman takes shape and that's like the the prologue and also a very brief epilogue kind of comes back to it so the movie is framed by this boy but then it turns into a more conventional story of two just impossibly beautiful women like just absolutely um they're played by Liv Ullman and B.B. Anderson both of whom give just amazing performances I think B.B. Anderson as, as nurse Alma is, it's, it's in like a Mount Rushmore performance. It's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Um, so uh, the, it's a it's story of the, the, an actress named Elizabeth Vogler, Elizabeth Vogler, and a nurse named Alma. Elizabeth was on stage performing the play Electra, which is incidentally the story of a girl who kills her mother, um, perhaps relevantly, perhaps not. So she's performing this play, and then all of a sudden she stops speaking and then the next day she stops speaking entirely and that's why she's in the hospital she just won't speak the very scandinavian doctor um, (laughs) who's in charge of her assigns alma to take care of her and eventually has them both go to a cottage on an island so that elizabeth can elizabeth can recover Um, since Elizabeth doesn't speak, Alma has to do all the talking and she becomes kind of a chatty Kathy and, uh, you know, it's kind of nice at first. She, she has a disarming quality, but you know, soon she starts confessing things, really deep things about herself, including a story about an orgy with two boys. I say boys, they seem like they might be literal boys, um, but that gave her the the best sex she ever had, um... (laughs) Soon she feels betrayed by Elizabeth, like that was taking advantage of her vulnerability to study her, maybe for a future role. We don't know, but there's a letter that sort of reveals that Elizabeth is studying her. That leads to a horrifying scene, and there's horror elements to this movie, but just the scene with the broken glass on the uh, the cobblestone patio is just, (laughs) it's really kind of tough to watch. Right. That turns into a fight, some blood sucking, a possible dreamlike, vicarious sex with Elizabeth's husband. In the middle of the movie, and this is after the the glass scene, the the film starts to break down. And you get clips from the montage in the beginning. Like It's just like the film just starts to kind of burn up, um, literally, like the actual film as it's presented to us.
1: Like on a projector. For those who don't know how films used to be shown. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: It does kind of make you nostalgic for film, actual film. And then it kind of resets again as their relationship resets a little bit. The climax of the movie is Alma telling Elizabeth how she feels about her unwanted son in a speech that is repeated twice. Once with a camera on Elizabeth and once with it on Alma then their faces merge and, you know, one of the most famous shots in film history, I'm sure every or almost every listener has seen it, uh, you, you know, at some point. And then again, it ends with that same kind of framing device, the boy touching the spe- screen, the projector this time turning off, and then it's that's the end of the movie. The last thing I want to say about it, it's from 1966, is when it's released, a lot of the images that we get you know, the Buddhist monk in Vietnam lighting himself on fire, as well as the kind of the woman's role starting to get redefined. It has that very, like, we're on the border of, like, the 50s and everything's good and good defeated evil. That's over now. And and the the woman bakes the apple pie. Like, that's kind of over now. And now things are in flux. They're transitioning. Um, We're in this space where it doesn't seem like anybody knows you know what's going on
1: right uh okay so can we start sort of at the beginning cuz i literally went into this knowing maybe that famous shot actually two famous shots like the profile shots and the merged shot like not even vaguely knowing what the plot was about and <laughs> the opening scene i was like what kind of experimental bullshit is Tamler making me watch like, <laughs> I, I was like if this is the whole film this like i feel like the guy in uh in clockwork orange who's gonna have to have his eyes held open so that i can watch spiders and dicks <laughs> like film projectors burning yeah but,
0: and like a, sh- a goat maybe being yeah, like, like a headless a sk-
1: like bleeding head of a of a sheep or a goat or something Sheep, like that. yeah yeah um
0: <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> there's a moment I, I there. I knew, and the funny thing is,
0: I knew you would have that reaction.
1: <laughs> too, I was like, "This is some pretentious <laughs> shit." <laughs> Even for a pretentious <laughs> filmmaker, this is pretentious. Yeah, but
0: then it just it, it kind of resolves itself. Yep. Then uh, it goes after that.
1: and turns into like a kind of a normal movie, almost a Hitchcockian opening scene. Nurse comes in, like I don't know something about the way it's shot, Doctor the 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 very how to describe her the very Scandinavian, <laughs> Scandinavian <laughs> doctor telling the nurse that she's going to be in charge of this of this patient um you know like it felt like a normal like it might be a thriller almost um
0: yeah, yeah. with some like a psychological thriller with some horror elements and yeah. some but but like a deep dive into the psychology of two of two women you know one who's been assigned to care for the other But then it doesn't stay that way, right? No,
1: it starts to unravel and become dreamlike. Things get dreamy, but like back and forth dreamy. Sometimes normal scenes, sometimes, you know, and then sometimes these dreamy, uh, surreal scenes. I really like the turn from that you were describing from Caretaker... Who, you know, you're dealing with somebody who's selectively mute. There's nothing organically wrong with her vocal cores or her brain. She can talk. She knows, like Alma, the nurse, knows Elizabeth can talk. And she moves sort of from normal caretaker saying like, okay, like, you know, like what a caretaker would do, describing what they're going to do, talking, making sure, like reading her correspondence. Mm-hmm to, to being more of a chatty Cathy, you know, it's just them too in this house and on this island. Like you don't really see other people around. And so she goes from like that nervous chatter that you might like when the other person isn't talking and you feel like you need to be the one to make all the conversation. Like I felt that pressure that, that like this sort of <clears throat> anxiety that you feel when you realize that the other mm-hmm. person isn't contributing. and And so you keep talking and mm-hmm. then, and then like a friendship developed and this is all yeah. one way you know this i mean the the performance of uh of elizabeth is great too like her facial expressions it's not like she's not giving anything she's giving something um mm-hmm. and like you you buy that a friendship is developing between these two women and and that moment of intimacy that culmination of the the story of you know, she starts off by saying she uh, the, um nurse alma starts off Sort of testing the waters of intimacy by telling her about this affair that she had for five years with a married man, but like Mm -hmm. she didn't take him seriously. That wasn't real to him. Right. Um, And then the culmination of this moment of intimacy where she speaks about this moment, this like pretty awesome (laughs) moment. (laughs) I was a little distracted, man.
0: (laughs) Well, because of the way it's shot, like it's erotic. Like if you didn't hear, what she was saying it's already just erotic right just the they're shot but,
1: they're both like intertwined in this and just, so she tells this story which you know the orgy is is whatever is kind of the intimate part of the story is she was there was just another girl who came to sunbathe naked on the beach so she joined her and then these boys started watching and they had sex but the real the real revelation there is that um she got pregnant and chose to abort imagine feeling comfortable enough with somebody who hasn't said a goddamn word to you and you're revealing that much about yourself
0: well i think there's two really important things right so alma at the beginning of the movie she just gives like a speech to the camera about how her life is so planned out you know she's marrying this person that she's engaged to they'll have two kids which she'll raise and she'll work her job which she loves and she likes the security of having things planned out. And, and you know, there's a tiny hint of uncertainty. But, but then when she tells this story, you get the sense that, wait a minute, is this enough for her? Because you get the sense that that... that uh, episode on the beach is like maybe the most important thing that's ever happened to her. The right. deepest she's felt like the most like real powerful feeling that she has just that that happened and how meaningful is one thing. And then of course that she got the abortion yeah. is another just she, you get the sense she hasn't told anybody Yeah. besides this woman.
1: Right. and And when she says it, like you alluded to, she says it was never as good before and it's never been as good since. Like that's, that was peak for her, as you say, is she, she has these career, clearly she has career ambitions, but she also realizes that, you know, her husband to be is, is studying to be a medical doctor. And so once that happens, she won't be a nurse, but she speaks wistfully about these nurses who are so devoted to being Mm -hmm. nurses that they're now just old retired nurses. And maybe, yeah, let's
0: talk, maybe back up a little bit to Elizabeth's decision, just not to speak all of a sudden. Um, because the doctor gives a speech about that. I which wanna, is, yeah, I want to
1: read the uh, full thing, or if you have it up, yeah. I have it up. Go for it. Yeah, so the doctor knows that she's a selective mute. She, she obviously knows she's an actor and that this happened, um, and she seems to have a theory as to what's going on, and she just brings Elizabeth, the mute actress, in and says, I understand, all right? The hopeless dream of being, not seeming, but being, at every waking moment, alert. The gulf between what you are with others and what you are alone. The vertigo and the constant hunger to be exposed, to be seen through, perhaps even wiped out. Every infection and every gesture, a lie. Every smile, a grimace. Suicide? No, too vulgar. But you can refuse to move, refuse to talk, so that you don't have to lie. You can shut yourself in. Then you needn't play any parts. Or make wrong gestures. Or so you thought but reality is diabolical. Your hiding place isn't watertight. Life trickles in from the outside and you're forced to react. No one asks if it is true or false, if you're genuine or just a sham. Such things matter only in the theater and hardly there either. I understand why you don't speak, why you don't move, why you've created a part for yourself out of apathy. I understand. I admire. You should go on with this part until it is played out, Until it loses interest for you, then you can leave it just as you've left your other parts one by one.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because on the one hand, it seems like a plausible diagnosis and also like obviously just, you know, so relevant to these ideas of, you know, an essential self versus like we were talking about this with the Boarhead story, like the public and the private self. But then also just, it's just another role though, you know? Like play it out. That's great. Like, so there's also something like so deflating about it. It's, I know you think that this is some heroic (laughs) cry for truth in a world of lies, but actually this is just another lie, but it's, you know, it might be kind of a cool lie, so (laughs) go for it. But, you know, uh, at at a certain point you're going to get bored with it and that's when you move on with your life.
1: It's I almost felt like Bergman was just putting it out there. What he was. Yeah. Like, this, right. It's not the whole of the movie, but this is the heart of the movie. And, you know, and Bergman Bergman is constantly reminding you that this is a movie. Yeah. You know, like his, his popping out with a film projector and his insertion of random tidbits of films from, you know, probably previous films. Like this is all,
0: And and even like a clip of him and the cinematographer Sven Nyquist just shooting the actual movie, right? So this is also a movie about art. I think what's so seamless about it, but the story is also about art and artifice. He's making a movie. We can talk about just the parasitic effects of if you make a movie. Now, anybody you interact with thinks, oh, am I going to be the subject for your next movie? Or are you just talking with me, you know, for this end of, of trying to create a great work of art but I think one of the things he's saying and you see this in the speech is that that's also just life yeah. right there's nothing about this speech that you couldn't say to somebody who's not a, an actor yep. what the doctor is suggesting is there's no escape from the lies that we present to the public even by just refusing to engage and not to play the game you are still playing the game yeah. You know, and that's just, yeah. just being a human being.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it was the Borges episode when we were talking about this. I think I said something like, It turn it turns out that that actors <laughs> might be just the most genuine ones because they know they're playing the roles mm-hmm. and we just were not aware that we're playing the roles. But you said something about the fear that your stories might be taken by that person to be used like in a script or as motivation for a character. And, you know, here the big, the big tempting thing that Bergman is sort of like hanging over your head is that these are the same person, um, which we could talk about. But it is interesting in the context of trying to interpret this as a movie where this is one person with these jarred identities that she might feel used by the actress for taking her own life stories. So that she feels betrayed by the letter. She's like, Here, I told you this stuff in confidence, and you're probably just going to use it. That's just right. like, just being herself. Her like, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. like, you're also betraying your true identity, which is me right here. Like, I have these real lived experiences. It's more than just a film. Like,
0: um, that's interesting. Right. Like, so, cause I was thinking, yeah, as you said, there are many people who interpret this as really the story of one woman, not two women. Although, I think you can make a case for either of them, which is fascinating. Like it's yeah. like I you know, if I was going to make it about one woman, I would probably make it about Alma I would think just because we get the movie more from her perspective and she actually talks than Elizabeth's. But we find out a lot about Elizabeth too through the the outside letters and that final speech. So you could definitely make the case also that it's only about Elizabeth. But I was thinking that what you lose if you see it that way is this dynamic of the kind of parasitic nature of just any friendship or relationship, especially if one of them is a kind of artist- And then the other one is always suspicious that they are being used for the purposes of art. And, but you're suggesting that that, that actually stays even within, if it's just one person, that that's, yeah. You've you've used
1: yourself as a means to an end where like of all of the things (laughs) you would treat, you would think you'd treat yourself as a, as the end in itself, um, and I,
0: I always thought that was just masturbating, <laughs> yeah, <though. I> was, <laughs> <laughs> but apparently you can do it in this way.
1: <laughs> you could do it in a more emotional way. <laughs> um, by the way, let's just preempt and anybody who's going to email us and tell us that persona is a singular like we I think we are and we know yes that.
0: <laughs> yes and it also means mask. Yeah. A reference I read to a young the youngian yeah. idea that. Um, What uh, A a kind of mask designed on the one hand to make a definite impression upon others and on the other to conceal the true nature of the individual. I mean, that's what this movie is about, right? Like, make a definite impression on others, conceal the true nature of who you are. The question is whether there's anything underneath the mask, I guess. Today's episode is brought to you once again by Chess.com. Chess.com is the only sponsor that I have personally been using for almost 20 years. I absolutely love it. You can play your family, your friends. You can play strangers. I'm in a couple games with listeners who heard me do the previous spot right now. Everyone's playing chess these days, especially on Chess.com, where the number of players has grown five times since 2020. Pandemic will do that, I guess. Chess.com is free and easy to play. There's no other chess website that's even close to it. And unlike so many other games that Pizarro tries to get me addicted to, you can spend hours playing chess and you won't hate yourself afterwards. Chess.com features so many ways to improve your chess game. And look, if you want to play me, you got to bump up your rating. Otherwise, my rating plummets way too far if you beat me. There are lessons for every level from beginner to expert. Chess.com features thousands and thousands of fun puzzles to sharpen your skills. Like I said last time, there's nothing better than a few chess puzzles when you're on the can. It keeps you regular. And this is a great feature. After every game, you can have the computer analyze your every move, your mistakes, your blunders, your inspired strokes of genius. Chess.com is free if you want to play and just have access to a few features. I always hovered around the gold and platinum levels, very reasonably price to get some awesome extra features and now they were just nice enough to bump me up to a diamond membership which gets me unlimited access to all of the chess.com features unlimited puzzles lessons game analysis and more you can play on all your devices and go there and find out which of your friends is already on chess.com it's a great way to meet up with people you haven't been in contact with in a while and if you challenge me i might even play you one of these days so head over to chess.com slash very bad to start playing. Let them know you heard about chess.com from us by going to chess.com slash very bad. No wizards, just very bad. Start playing your friends and learning chess today. Chess.com slash very bad. Thank you to chess.com for sponsoring this episode.
1: It It is interesting. Like, I have to give this movie credit because it, could have been a massive ter- massively terrible movie. like the Bergman flirting with the fact that it could be interpreted as two women, but not making it like making there be some things that make it seem impossible that it's two women and then some things make yeah. it seem it's impossible that it's one woman. right So every any interpretation that you choose to take comes with like an interpretive trade-off. so mm-hmm. so there is no real answer. You don't even get the sense that he cares that there is a real answer because what what it's exploring is whatever this relationship
0: is. It's giving you like raw materials, like really rich raw materials and allowing you to create what you create with it. So it's not like you can just make anything of it. But it's also not like you can just make one thing of it. Because as you say, there are interpretive right. trade-offs both plot mechanic-wise S- and also just thematically, I yeah. think there are interpretive trade-offs. So if you, if you see it as two people, you lose this, this idea that there are this conflict within all of us right. of the public and the private and this desperate wish to be authentic and real and the actual you instead of the you that you perform for others, you know, whether on stage or just as a person interacting with anybody. So, so you lose that element of it at least a little bit if you think of it as two people. But then, if you think of it as one person, you lose the relationship dynamic, which is really, you know, I wouldn't want to lose either. Um, Even if I do think maybe the most plausible interpretation is one person. But then I was thinking like, you don't, we don't have to choose either, right? This can be like a Schrodinger's cat kind of deal where it's all of those things. Well, and depending on where how we're observing it, right? Because
1: like, who is to say that? that now i sound like a real per, like pretentious film person but <laughs> but who like who, who says that there has to be a rule that there is w- one answer to this like that's you know when there is a quote i think it's i didn't i forgot to write down who said it but i'm pretty sure it's well it has to be alma <laughs> what am i talking about <laughs> it wasn't a man and it wasn't the unless Scandinavian. it's no stop like <laughs> yeah, uh, which we need yeah. to talk about um yeah. but you know in one of her ramblings she says Is it possible, something like, is it possible to be one and the same person at the very same time? I mean, someone else, which is already just such an ambiguous statement where it's
0: like, was she like, I mean, we're going to get into these scenes, I assume in more detail, but like she, she literally says, I, I could like, we look alike. I could become you if I really tried. I could turn into you you and she says your
1: soul, but your soul would be too big.
0: Yeah. Right. Which is like, what is, what is that? I
1: don't know. Because, uh, uh, cause part of the dynamic is she's starstruck by the, yes. the actress, like the yeah.
0: again something that you lose, like that yeah. those opening scenes. If you think of him as one person, of her just kind of. Chatting on sort of nervously, but also unselfconsciously. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just, uh, there's something kind of beautiful about it. If she is this starstruck nurse with all the good intentions in the world, uh, just trying to help this person, while at the same time, like, oh, cool, I get to talk to Elizabeth Vogler, like yeah. the famous actress, Correct. and I respect art and I respect the theater, and it's just like, that's so awesome. Uh, And and to see that just slowly become something really vulnerable and then something really like it it, it wrecks her to some degree or it makes her hard. You know, there's a kind of softness to her at the beginning and a hardness to Elizabeth. But uh, certainly she's explicitly called.
1: She's she's explicitly, you know, says that that Elizabeth has this hard look.
0: Yes, right. Yeah, and 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 the scene with the the husband, this crazy scene with the husband who's blind, and I suppose just he just throws in it's blind in case you want to think that this is actually two women at the same time. Like I find that very hard to believe, but but yeah, but but at one point, like Alma, who's having sex with the husband but in the guise of Elizabeth, says, "I love your tenderness," your and and she says it looking directly at Elizabeth, like you're too hard to even understand this. You're too chilly and cold and removed and apathetic. And I still have this softness and I appreciate this softness in another. And it's almost like an aggressive thing
1: at that point. Well, it reminds me she's one way in which she's trying to maintain her softness. She goes to bed, turns off the light, almost immediately turns on the light to put on face cream. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like to maintain her supple softness. (laughs)
0: Exactly. That's, I didn't notice that. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. She's trying like desperately, like she wakes up like in that kind of almost panic. Yeah. And she starts she, putting up. Uh,
1: very weird. Um, yes. I so, like, I have like the miniest of theories that's half, yeah. half asked. Um, I don't
0: know if, okay. No, let's, let's do it. Why not?
1: Okay. Um, well, should we talk first about that scene where she finally talks because she threatens to throw boiling water? sure yeah w- what i got from it was a call back to the scandinavian doctor it's funny because in in the one that i read it said life trickles in from the outside but on mm-hmm. the on screen um it said life oozes in on all sides oh, i like that yeah better. yeah too. um it struck me as that moment where this this one is real life you can play as much as you want but as soon as real life becomes real you're gonna snap right out of it you're gonna talk yeah Yeah. you're gonna talk you can't you can try like play this role until you can't play it but just know life is gonna like when boiling water is about to be thrown (laughs) you're gonna say no
0: even for a beautiful white woman (laughs) life will eventually find you (laughs) uh now i'm trying to remember the order so it's right after she reads the letter, the kind of betrayal letter, yeah. where it the letter itself is pretty interesting. And also just like this movie just conveys feeling in every shot. But as she's reading the letter, there's this drip, 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 which is in itself just kind of like it puts you a little bit on edge. And then she reads her not saying anything too nasty about Alma, but it's patronizing. It's a like, oh, she seems smitten with me in a yeah. charming way. And, and then also just revealing what she told her, which was some orgy, but, but diminishing it, minimizing it. Some yeah. orgy she had on with these two boys. Right, because actresses have orgies all the
1: time, you know? Like, right. Isn't that cute <laughs> exactly. She tell me her little orgy story? <laughs> yeah.
0: And then what's interesting about, like, I think this is, you know, so, so then it goes, I think, to the glass scene. Right. Yes, I think
1: uh, so. Because this is uh, where the resentment has built.
0: Yes, but it's not. It's, it hasn't been vocalized yet. Yeah, that's a, like the one of the most suspenseful and t- just tense scenes of. And even though I've seen this now a few times, like I don't. I didn't remember exactly when she steps on it. Yeah. And it's just so stressful. This this shard of broken glass is right. just out there. And so she she walks in. She walks out. Um, and she doesn't step on it, and then Alma leaves, and then she walks in and steps on it. When she steps on it, like I just felt this, like my legs just a shiver run up my legs. Yeah. And and then the film breaks down, and with the montages, and it's like it has to reconstruct itself. It gets blurry at first, like that opening image. Now Alma uh, Elizabeth is blurry, and then she just kind of snaps into focus.
1: So the the blurry is just like another way of just reminding us. I mean, this is a movie. Remember, this is a yeah. movie. Like, the, the the focus puller fucked up on this one. <laughs>
0: like, and it's also a callback to the blurry image that you get in the opening in of the boy touching yeah. the, the screen. So but it's, yes, it's also very much about, like, this is a movie. And because it's not just blurry, it then immediately pops into focus. Yeah. Like, so abruptly. And, and, and they've reset a little bit. But now that they've reset, Alma is, like, self-conscious in a way that she hadn't been before. Right. Like, she's yelling at uh, Elizabeth for this betrayal, but she's using words that she says she knows how phony she sounds. You know, it's like all of a sudden she's been granted this new, she now is aware of the artifice of what she was doing in a way that, or now she's forced to engage in artifice that she wasn't engaging with before. And that's a tragedy right there is that now all of a sudden she, this charming and beautiful innocence that she has is 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 lost. Yeah, she went and, from bright
1: eyed and bushy tailed to like, yeah bitter
0: and, and now she has to confront now the same thing that uh, elizabeth was confronting before which is wait is like is there, is this all bullshit you know like is everything i'm doing just kind of bullshit and elizabeth starts laughing you know or smiling and silently laughing and she says you think this is funny you're laughing but it's not that simple for me because she's just earlier in this process you know, yeah. And then she, the next scene, she goes and she's like, "Is it really that important not to lie to always tell be telling the truth? Why not let yourself be silly and dishonest?" And it's like th- you get the sense that this is like a a stage that Elizabeth went through, you know, a, a long time <laughs> right. before she she's passed this, and now she's brought um, through her actions to uh, she's brought Alma to this point, yeah, um, and that's where. They, you know uh, she starts saying how betrayed she was and then Elizabeth slaps her yeah. and then chases her and she runs into the house and 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 takes this boiling oil and and threatens to throw it in her face and that's when she talks Really the only time she talks I guess she says nothing at one point but that's it
1: Well there's a time where she whispers could be in her in in Alma's imagination she says you should go to sleep or you fall or you'll fall asleep at the table.
0: Right. But that's but that's that's thought that that was a dream, Yeah, right? because she says, she, "Did you
1: talk to me last night?" and she goes, "No." Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she
0: looks very genuine about it. She doesn't look like she's playing. Yeah.
1: But definitely it was her voice. So,
0: yes, that's know, true. Whatever. Yeah. But, um right. I mean, and, and she might not even exist. Right. So. Like that's as good a speaking <laughs> that's as <true>. anything. <laughs> <That's> better than
1: <laughs> Okay, so so this is uh, the most half-baked it's not even a theory about the movie. it's a theory about this specific part of the movie, which is the the boy who sandwiches this this movie it, who is sort of like touching the projection of of the face of of, of Vogler
0: or one of them. It's not totally clear, yeah, if we didn't yeah.
1: mention it, these women were picked because they look alike like they you know yeah. they, and
0: that they were friends too,
1: yeah, right. it seems to me. That, that boy is trapped in a movie. That boy is a character from one of the roles that she played. And like, he just doesn't really exist. He's like yearning to be outside of the movie to be like with his mom. Yeah. Yeah it feels like he's it feels like it's on the back of a projection screen you know like if you were to walk right up to a screen it feels like he's and he's in that room almost like a weird 2001 room where he's kept <laughs> you yep. know
0: so like what you said about like he's been part of a role that she played yeah like i think that's true regardless of whether she's literally part of like she was in a play and like in the play she had a child in the st- origin story of how he came to be it was uh and this is in that final speech you know that kind of just gut-wrenching just this is who you are a yeah. speech that Alma gives Elizabeth um the origin story of this boy is, you know it, a- as it's being presented is that she was at a party and you know it's kind of a glamorous party and people were talking about probably how great she was as an actress and joking around and saying the one thing you aren't is a mother you know, like that's one role that you really can't be. And it, it, like, even though it was said in jest, like, it kind of bothered her. And so she, uh, like, it, it the, kind of bugged her. So I could be a mother. And go, so the she then, like, the she literally is. has a child to prove that person <laughs> yeah. wrong that she can inhabit that role, but she can't. She cannot be a mother. She, it's, she hates the baby from, like, the moment, like, she notices that it's in her body to, like, the present, essentially. Like, that she just doesn't have that in her. And so I think, like, you can interpret what you're saying literally um, as, like, almost, like, in a surreal way. Like, he's come to exist because of, like, she, she happened to act in this play or just... You know, it, it still applies a, a, as just the way it's described, that, that, that description of it, which is it was a role for her to yeah, be a mother. Right. And it's a role she just happened not to be suited for.
1: The boy was left to be raised by relatives or something like that. But, even what, but the
0: boy desperately loved her. This yeah, is what's so, so sad about the whole
1: thing he 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 has
0: like this deep, unfathomable love yeah. for his mother, but their interactions are awkward, like not like what you would want in a play. Like it's not authentic. It's like her being a mother is not authentic. It's not real. And so, like that's what's so heartbreaking about that. And, Look- yeah, and I see that boy <laughs> one way or another as. The son yeah. you know yeah. just yeah. like yeah. And, and 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 you know whether he exists in one sense or doesn't exist um he is trying to reach her but there is the screen it's, in between it's them. a very l- like,
1: liminal like he's in a very liminal space like he's between between the world so between
0: real, the real world of being a son and having a mother and yeah
1: yes yeah. it has this for a super duper um like uh concrete interpretation she is in a movie she's currently filming this movie and the in the movie she has a son um it's in the middle of filming the movie that she decides to stop talking but the cameras keep rolling they're just they're just rolling it's it's still a movie and the times that you get she's playing this role now as a as a selectively mute actor but they keep rolling the doctor tells her the times life is going to ooze in you can play this role but real life will step in and when she steps on the glass the movie has to like cut when yeah. she's about to be thrown hot water or oil or whatever it is into her face she breaks character yeah, yeah.
0: right right I think she breaks character is a great way of describing yeah. it like she and then she immediately gets back into yeah. character it's not like, okay, like in another movie, now she would start talking. Right. Like, you know, it would just... <laughs> in like a lesser waterfall film. <laughs> would come. Yeah, uh, but no, she just like, that was like a little s- slip up for her. Yeah. She really is, as as Alma says about her at the very beginning of the movie, she's mentally strong.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's interesting that your interpretation sort of assumes that she's the central the, character. Yeah, yeah. Because I think like you could... Uh, definitely also run something where she is a projection of Alma's and, you know, maybe the projection of somebody also in a liminal space between I don't know who I'm going to be yet and this very well-defined person that she imagines herself to be but isn't quite there yet, you know? So, like, she hasn't had a kid yet. She had an abortion of the one kid that she might have had. And she's still a nurse. She clearly likes being a nurse and, and doesn't want to give that up. And as you said, admires the people who they're not afraid of their role or their yeah. mask. They, they embrace it with like everything. And she clearly seems to think that that's something that's really meaningful. Like it gives your life meaning. And Elizabeth is this sort of future projection of herself. Like, this is what could happen if I go down this road. I have a child that I don't want and the child is abandoned and desperate and comes into this world unloved. You know, that's yeah. where like the the absence of God, the absence of anybody that cares about you, it's one thing when it's, you know, the absence of a loving God. It's another thing where it's the absence of just anybody right. that really loves you and wants you. And she is, and, and this is her trying to work through that. Like, I think you could also do something... Uh, along those lines, where Elizabeth is either not real or just a possible future self, almost even if she's not going to be an actress, just somebody who decided that this role that I'm playing as the the loving wife and mother, I just can't like it's not I'm not suited for that role. You know, this is nagging in Alma. This is like a fear that is nagging her from the very beginning, even when she's like really confident about like her life well, and her, like, and, and, and her role.
1: Think about this way. Like, I, I mean, I agree that your interpretation is works just as well. The, it, you know, on the one hand, like I was reading it as wistful Elizabeth thinking if only I'd gotten that abortion and stuck to my career, like yeah. I would still be happy. I'd still have that bright eyed, bushy tailed or in the way that you describe it. Or it could be like, you know, these are two temporal instances of the same woman who are encountering each other, you know?
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it can't be exactly, because no. you don't get the sense that Alma is, is going to quit nursing and become no. an actress. Yeah. But they are yeah, spiritually the, yeah. the same. Yeah, I, I, I,
1: I also admit that I treated uh, Elizabeth as the, the main, the quote-unquote main. I mean, if they're both the same person, then the question makes less sense but um because alma's name is alma which is soul and yeah and so i i kind of viewed it as well she internalized she stopped talking the thing that kept talking was the thing inside her that thing you know her yeah. internal monologue is, is but and yet we
0: know so much more about Alma because she's the confessor and she's uh this it's such a great performance because it the way she's able to inhabit both the sort of softness and tenderness and charming vulnerability and openness in the beginning, and then that transition to betrayal, and then just a real hardness. Let's talk about a,
1: Mulholland Drive. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, Mulholland Drive is so influenced yeah. by this in Vertigo, like, yeah. you know, essentially yeah. get you Mulholland Drive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, Lynch was very influenced by some of these filmmakers. Tarkovsky, too, and, uh, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of, like, European cinema from this period, and, like, it's not I, I, I would never say my respect for David Lynch has diminished, because it's, like, that's not possible. Um, he's the man, but, like, he's, like I, like, I didn't realize to what extent he really is influenced by, yeah. like, just shots, themes, everything by this, the, uh, those directors. Bertolucci too, The Conformist, there's so much Lynchian stuff in that.
1: Yeah, the minute I started watching this, I was like, "Is this just Lynch in a different language?" <laughs> just trying to sneak a <laughs> yeah, Lynch. Yeah, <by> exactly. You. <laughs> uh, by the way, one of my first notes, actually, right yeah. after the title of my note, which is Persona. What the fuck, a dick.
0: <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I think it's also like I think the that he knows. That you're thinking that, yeah. and I think part of that is him making fun of himself and his art because it does kind of seem like a, almost like a German expressionist like sprockets kind of thing <laughs> yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> Even though I think it's really cool and we could have a fruitful analysis of like shot by shot of it, like it all like I think it's like aware of yeah. this, but then also I think it's the flood the flood of images is like the flood of confusion that a boy might feel of just being thrust into the world just all these things going on around him that he can't process yeah. and he can't figure, like, you know, th- there, there's cartoons and that's funny, but then yeah. there's, Dick uh, Spiders uh, and like
1: cartoons Dick's- like my childhood. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> and, and it's so
0: good that way. It's like, you know, the, the other side of him, the, the I think when you think of Bergman, you think of like the big questions of like existential questions of being in an, a, like an indifferent universe in this kind of abyss. That's in this too. Yeah. But what's so kind of, awesome about it is it's in it in the in the guise of an unwanted child you know like a child that nobody wanted to exist and and the one person that he desperately needs is the person that hates him the most the one person that he's reaching out for is is, is someone that just so he, wishes
1: he didn't exist so you sad. know like that's
0: so yeah. sad
1: he's a fake boy from a like art house movie from the sixties, and I still feel so bad for
0: him because Bergman is just so good at like getting emotions out of it. Yeah, like like almost better than anybody I can think of. As I am just feeling this movie, even when I don't understand it, I'm feeling it.
1: Yeah, I guess my point is a different one. Even if you don't want to feel it, looking at it is amazing. Like it's it's this. You know, I love this period of black and white filmmaking when when like the film quality was good
0: can we talk about the scene so she like we we've referred to the details of it but the scene where she gives the speech she gives this kind of devastating speech to elizabeth about just how she she may be playing out this role but people are suffering including this boy you know and there's earlier connections to like a boy in the Holocaust yeah. that's being like marched out by the Germans, which is, it, and it's so brutal. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's being taken that way. You know, she, she is being wrecked by this story, Elizabeth. She says, you hoped the baby would be dead. You wanted a dead baby. And when you saw, and when, you know, it was presented to you, you said, can't you just die? Like she gives that speech. It's repeated. Then all of a sudden, like it cuts. There's one of these, like kind of almost awkward edits, like uh, definitely on purpose. Bergman knows what he's doing, um, and and then all of a sudden Alma is in a nurse's costume, right? She's become a nurse again, and she goes up to Elizabeth and says, "I l- I've learned quite a lot. Almost like a reversal now. Like you said, you were studying me. I was actually studying you." And then she does this thing with her hands, like just comes up to her face and, like, um, grabs something, like, that I, at least this time around, interpreted as, like, I'm grabbing your soul now, you know? Huh. And then she says, I'll, I'll never be like you, which is echoing what she had said at the end of that speech. I am Alma. I'm not Elizabeth Bogor. I'm soft. I'm, I'm, I, I love, I can still love people. Um, and But now she says, let's see how long I can hold out. I'll never be like you. I'll change all the time. Um, I can act and, and she says, let's see. Uh, and then she says, you do what you want. You'll never get to me. And then she like kind of breaks down and kind of starts putting her hands in her head, but then immediately looks up like she's slamming her hands on the table, but then she immediately looks up and she looks hard and severe as, as if it's like, okay, that was an act. you see, I've learned from you and you can't break me. But then she breaks down for real. So she does that and it's like this triumphant moment of like, I have become hard like you, uh, you know, at the cost maybe of my own like soul, but I've I've defeated you. But then she breaks down for real and uh, because I was just watching this before, like what she says starts to not make any sense. Yes is the answer. Um, I like I don't know like what's the what's winning Us, we, me, I. And then she says, then disgust, nausea. Um, and, and this is right when then she slices. I guess I've seen this described different ways, but the way I saw it, she slices open her own arm and then Elizabeth sucks the blood out of her arm. And then Alma just starts slapping her in a very Hitchcockian scene, <laughs> yeah. uh, just the way she's slapping her. Um, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. First, just her quick change into the nurse's costume, but then this kind of like posturing, like, like I've learned from you. I can, I can beat this. I will run away from my true self, and I'll do it successfully, and I can act now, and I can be inauthentic just like you can. But then, no, she can't. And now she's starting to feel that nausea and disgust. This is, like, very Sartrean at this point. Like, just... Like, so I, I, I get that part. The slicing of the arm and the sucking the blood. <laughs> you know, aside from the vampire, like, kind of illusions. But I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't get it.
1: I don't I don't either. I saw it and I was like, all right, this this is some weird shit. <laughs> like, at this point, my interpretive engines were just like, well, I don't know that I can incorporate this one. <laughs> like like i guess take you know some sort of succubus <laughs> soul sucking just like the grabbing
0: yeah but it's but then why is it slapping yeah yeah um and and do, w- just in terms of the, the like what actually happens was it your sense that she cut her own wrist or her own arm
1: like it, forearm i'm pretty sure um it's uh alma who cuts her own arm? And then, and then Elizabeth her. sucking. Yeah. Well, it's definitely Elizabeth sucking the
0: blood of what yeah. appears to yeah. not be her own yeah.
1: arm. Yeah. Yeah. But so then which would but be then lethal. the slap and then yeah. there's just like no blood. Like I don't Yeah. yeah.
0: right i mean it's just uh yeah and that's and then all of a sudden uh, elizabeth is packing up and she's gone and then alma's packing up and she's gone but they're not together anymore alma gets on a bus and who the fuck (laughs) knows? and then it goes back to the boy
1: and then it ends on the boy and it ends with the film projector ending again right yeah yeah, I, like I, I, think that's so.
0: It's so interesting the way this movie could really be about either one of them, you know, and or both of them.
1: We also get, by the way, those tender shots of them, like those wistful shots of them yeah. embracing each other. Yeah, and just and when she's
0: talking, on when they're on the beach and they're in their hats. Yeah, and like this is in the good time <laughs> of their relationship. Um, and then I just think oh, my, like B.B. Uh, Anderson is just so good yeah, in it she's like, great. it's it's remarkable and it doesn't work it doesn't work without like really top tier performances from
1: either <laughs> right. of them like, uh, like seriously it's, this is film is one error away from being a bad film but it comes together yeah. it comes yes yeah.
0: the, the shooting of it and I think it's part of, it's a celebration of that too <clears throat> Yeah, like you know it's one of the best shot filmed by Sven Nyquist is, you know, one of the great cinematographers. And it shows, like it shows that. It's like it makes you conscious of the editing yeah. too. Yeah. You know, it makes and then the acting like how like so many close-ups. Yeah. So many, you know, so we haven't even plus. talked about like how sometimes the actresses will look like they're talking to us. At one point Elizabeth just starts uh, the camera is on her, and then she ta- she has a camera, and then she turns the camera on on us. So and good, it's like so all it's of a sudden we're getting yeah. like, oh wait, this is about me yeah. now, it's it's I very it flirts
1: me. with meta so much.
0: Yeah, but not
1: in an annoying no.
0: way, no, uh, and not in a way that detracts from the emotion of it.
1: All right, anything else to say about this? I don't think so, but it's like if if you're like me and not a get past the first you know, like few God- Goddard opening shots. <laughs> yeah. It's great. And I love that. You know what I love about this movie too, is that it never tempts you too much into, tr- into having to solve a mystery. Yeah. Like it could right. have done that. It could have been a little bit like cache tempts us, you know, and we had a obviously long conversation about whether or not th- there needs to be Mulholland drive. Same thing. This gives you a mystery but it's an emotional one. It just the details matter a little less about like you're not like yeah. you're, you're not dissatisfied because there is no answer as to whether it's two women or one. You
0: know, if anything you get dissatisfied if you try to come up yeah. with too definitive <laughs> right. uh, an interpretation. Yeah. And and I think that's why I think the, the first time you watch it, like there's no reason for you not to take it at face value that these are just two women, a nurse and a patient, yeah. one of whom is an actress that stopped talking. And I think that's a totally valid interpretation. Also, it's just the weirdness that you have to explain is, um, number one, the, the husband scene. <laughs> but I, you could think of that as a dream. And then, number two, that their faces actually start to merge. But then you could think of that like, this is what happens when two people who have to spend a lot of time in isolation, this is why it's ultimately just about you and I in Montana. <laughs> like,
1: Remember when those two young boys came? Like... The process. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And
0: then our sex that it's night never has been the same has-
1: since. All right. <laughs>
0: All right. On that note, um, join us next time on Very Bad Whisper. With- more brains than you have. Pay no attention to that man. Anybody can have a brain. You're a very bad man. I'm a very good man. Just a very bad wizard.